Hey folks, it's Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you're listening to my podcast called Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. Turn it up. Yeah! Funders, how is everybody doing? You guys doing all right out there, huh? Staying warm in the winter. If you're in one of the, if you're in the colder areas like I am, we've got a big snowstorm coming tonight. From what I hear, we're gonna get like you know five to nine inches of snow, some ice. Man, kids will probably be home from school. Just keeping that going, right? Keeping that chaos going. That's what we do here. So coming up on today's episode, well, actually, first before I get into that. Thank you for being here. I, I, where are my manners? I, I apologize for that. So first, thank you all for being here. Thank you for being a, a listener of Successfully Funded. Now let's talk about who's on today's episode. Well, today we're going to be talking to Alex Davis. Oh, you guys don't know Alex Davis. Well, Alex is from the Kickstarter campaign, Pharaoh's Watches, and they have made a very unique watch, which is challenging in today's uh, Kickstarter world here, um, and this watch is really successful. It's doing well on there, so we're going to get into how uh, Alex and his partner decided to get into the watchmaking business. Um, so that conversation is coming up here in just a moment, so stay tuned for that. So what else is going on around here? Well, outside of the cold, I think this is a good time to sort of sort of talk a little bit about, you know, sort of some, if you're thinking about running crowdfunding, I want to put your mindset in the right spot. I want to take a moment to, to, like I said, put your mind in the right mind spot. And also, if you do work with an agency, some things to start imagining, right? Things that might happen. So we're in this period right now, and this happens, you know, maybe once, twice a year where it's like that moment where you're questioning a lot of stuff. You're questioning your processes. You, you know, the, um, you know, cl- uh, clients have expectations. You have expectations. Everybody's just kind of all over the place a little bit, and you're trying to sort of wrap this in. And 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 I think an important thing to think about if you're getting ready to run a campaign and working with an agency is a couple things. Number one, arbitrary deadlines are arbitrary deadlines. So. The differences of launching a Facebook ad campaign on a Tuesday to a Wednesday doesn't have much, very really not important, right? Launches on Tuesday, launches on Wednesday. Um, you know, so sometimes what we do is we put these arbitrary dates on the board and then we, you know, we, we hold those to some standard, like that's what we have to hit, but then we don't look at the context around that date or we don't look at the data around the date. That happens all the time with Kickstarter launches where somebody will say, I have to launch this thing February 12th. That's the date it has to be launched. Now, they now they may have good reasonings to say that, um, you know, but then I, I'm the guy that comes in and goes, well, let's, let's, look at, let's look at the data here. And maybe your date is to actually have the page built on the 12th or you have everything sit. But then you should take a step back and look at it. Reflect, right? It's so easy to hit one button and launch. It's, it's, it's about taking a moment to just stand back and go, all right, now what do we have here? Let's look at the video. Let's look at this thing in context. Let's take a breath with it. So these arbitrary dates are such a killer to a lot of businesses right now. And it's it creates fake fires, we call them. We call them fake fires around here at Woodshed because everybody's got a fire, right? Everybody. Oh my gosh, it's Tuesday. This needs to happen. Wednesday needs to happen. And it comes back to setting expectations, understanding where you are in the world, understanding 
how the world's working when it comes to social media. So I'm gonna go into point number two here. This is the other thing we see quite a bit that I think small business owners or people getting ready to launch a product need to sort of start thinking about. The internet, right, is gigantic. Facebook, gigantic. Google, gigantic, right? So I get this quite a bit here, especially around social media, right? And, you know, we do social media for a lot of clients. I think we're pretty good at it. It's, you know, one of our strengths. But there's always a friction point because expectations of what social media is on our end and what social media is on a client end is sometimes drastically, drastically different. So if you are on the project side of this, you know, some general rules to be thinking about is, one, your Facebook page is not a used car salesman thing, right? It's not a buy my thing, buy my thing buy my thing, buy my thing. That is not what your page should look like. Your page should look like a, you know, 80% of content that you think would be interested, 20% of content should be buy my thing. So if you think about that, so now you're looking at like what content, my audience, I have this audience, I'm into, uh, you know, musical instruments, whatever it is. Now you need to post stuff that people who like musical instruments, play guitar, play bass, play drums, would also be into. It's not about buy my thing over and over and over. So that we see that issue all the time. And remember, social media is about a two-way conversation. It is about you reaching across the aisle, shaking that hand, asking somebody this. I also use an analogy. Think about this analogy. Think about walking into a restaurant, right? Think you, you know, there's, I don't know, 400 people in a restaurant, 300 people in this restaurant, all eating how would you walk up and, and start a conversation? Would you walk up to somebody and just say, hey, you should buy my $400 thing that's gonna be on Kickstarter here real soon? Or would you ask, hey, um, how, what are you eating there? How is it? Is it good? What did you order? Right, right? You would start with conversations. You would start with you know, a different sort of approach. You wouldn't, so think about that. Think about your showing up in people's news feeds of people who, are not looking at what you're doing, that you are amongst everything else that's in the newsfeed. So if you start putting this sort of context into a lot of this stuff, now you start to realize, hmm, maybe our social media approach shouldn't be only by my thing. Maybe it should be content driven, asking questions, taking polls, um, engaging with people, sharing popular content, um, and being a resource to people and not just a, a sales channel. So thinking about that, I think, is a huge thing. And then after that, you know, we, we refer to social media posts as farts in the wind, right? Like, you know, you putting something on Facebook today has almost zero impact on anything in the world. So if you are working with an agency, and this happens to us quite a bit, and let's say we, we, we put a post up there that you're like, eh, I don't really quite get that. Is the, re the reaction should be, you know, could you explain that? Or if you just don't like it, you hit delete and you move on with your day and the world continues on and there's not this huge, huge, you know, oh, what's going on here type of thing. So think about social media differently. Take a step back. Think about the stuff that you're clicking on. I bet you very rarely you're clicking on something that is just 
the first time you've seen it and you're just instantly buying. It's about warming people up. It's about having conversations. It's about a two-way street. And if you can put yourself in that mindset, you're going to save yourself a lot of headache. A lot of headache. So I feel like those are a couple things to be thinking about if you are running, a, you know, getting ready to run a campaign, getting ready to launch a product, starting something. If you're thinking about those sort of um, things, these are a couple things to really kind of wrap your head around. Easy on social media, and then also just really imagine how big the world is, and 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 address what is a fire, what isn't a fire. Thinking about that all the time. Certain things are a fire. Hey, if your website's down and you're not getting leads, and you're, you know, if you're running here, here's here, here's a fire. If you're running Facebook ads that you're spending money on, and you're driving that to a page that's a 404, that's a big issue, right? That's a fire issue. What is going on? My website's down. Not a fire issue. Uh, oh, that social media post on Tuesday. I just don't know if it's quite on brand. Actually, you know what? I'm going to do one more, one more, one more quick thing, because it just it just popped in my bread. Bread. What? It just popped in my brain. Let's talk about brand real quick. And I'm going to say something that's probably going to make a couple of you guys out there maybe maybe a little mad. You do not have a brand. You don't have one. If you're listening to this, I almost guarantee you probably don't have a brand. You have a logo and you have a company name. That is what you have. You may even have a little three-sentence widget thing that kind of describes what you are. That is not a brand. That is not a brand. A brand is what people are telling you about you, like talking about you online. When they're saying, oh my gosh, I love this thing because it tastes so good. It, you know, my, my life is better because I own this thing. That is what a brand is. When you represent something, your logo doesn't represent it. Your logo represents, oh, I put green, blue, and yellow together, and it looks kind of cool, and I put it in my, my icon. That's all that is. That's a logo. And that's important, but that's not a brand. So a lot of times, we get young entrepreneurs, you know, well, what does my brand think of, you know, how do we describe my brand? How, how do people feel about us? That's not for me to de determine that or for you to determine that. Your audience will determine what your brand is because your brand could also equal it's a junk product. Your, bra your brand could equal it's the greatest product in the world. It's well-built. But to, for it to be well-built, that means somebody's had to use it. That's when your brand is starting to become established, when you are an established company, when people are commenting over and over and over on Facebook about you or if you're a restaurant and Yelp reviews, that's what your brand is. Hey, this restaurant really is the best home-cooked meal. Now that's your brand, and your brand is now what people think about when they see your logo. But if you don't have that stuff, if you're a brand new company, there is nothing. You're a logo. So again, drop the idea that you're controlling that narrative. You're not, and if you are controlling the narrative, then that means that your product's failing because your brand should become, it should be a, a very natural progression from you listening to people telling you that this is what I think about when I see your brand, when I see your thing online, when I, you know, I feel good when I see your thing. I feel shitty when I see your thing. Uh, I just, you know, I just want to share what you put out there. Your content is so amazing. It's a warm. It's all that stuff comes down the road. All right, that's my last rant. I'm off my soapbox. That's enough. That's all I got right now. Let's talk about watches, guys. Let's let's pivot this conversation. So before that, here's some things I need you to do. Make sure you go over to iTunes right now and make sure you're a subscriber. Hit the subscribe button. Join us. I put out these episodes usually weekly. So get on that so you're getting the notifications go to the web go to our website woodshed.agency and uh and make sure you read some of our blogs follow along listen to other podcasts do what you got to do there uh if you are thinking about running a campaign and you have questions email me 
jeff at woodshed.agency. I will answer your email and let's get on a conversation and let's, uh, let's make sure you got the, the, you're in the right mindset before you launch. Okay. Those are some things you can do for us. So now let us kick it to our, my conversation with Alex. Let's talk about Pharaoh's watches, this amazing Kickstarter. The red light here, which this really freaks out most people. So uh, let's see if you're a pro here and you can get over the uh, the freak outness of the uh, the red light syndrome. It's recording. It's recording. So why don't we do a, do a quick sound check? Um, why don't you tell my listeners what you had for breakfast this morning? Actually, nothing yet. I'm just having a cup of coffee. Cup of coffee. All right. All right. Are you usually a uh, breakfast person? I am usually. Uh, <clears throat> usually, like I'm on the go okay. and I have something on the way out, and you know, but I'm still home. So. <laughs> all right. All right. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that's uh, that's a good answer for that. Let's uh, let's jump right into it. So, why don't you tell my listeners um, what you are currently raising money for uh, over on Kickstarter? Sure. So we're raising money for Pharaoh Swatches. It's um, a micro brand that my partner, my business partner Craig and I started a couple years mm-hmm. ago. It's a you know just a unique looking watch with a fully automatic Swiss movement. We designed everything. Uh, from the ground up, everything is very original, hmm. and it's a brand that we want to launch. We both have a passion for watches. Um, it, it looks unique in the sense of it's got it's got a full loom dial. Hmm. Um, the case is very different. It's not a generic looking case. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much it. That's cool. That's cool. So where does this sort of idea start in terms of uh let's make a watch you know craig and i hey we should make a watch you know it doesn't seem like that's the first thing uh, most most guys get together and do maybe you play some basketball maybe do something else but now you guys are making watches so how do you get into that so we both went to law school together in new york city and both him and i are watch collectors we have a lot of different watches and throughout law school we sort of bonded over that uh hobby if you want to call it you know just like collecting watches looking at watches and then about three years ago, so I'm currently living in Los Angeles. He stayed in New York. So I moved away after law school in 2012. And then three years ago, which was uh, about 2015, 2016, um, we started talking about starting a business in the watch space. And we thought it would be cool to maybe launch uh, an online marketplace for selling watches. Hmm. But that space is somewhat concentrated. There's a lot of online watch marketplaces. There's a lot of companies that do that, that resell watches. And then he suggested launching our own company in the watch space, just designing our own watch and then launching, uh, raising funds through Kickstarter. So hmm. that's how it came about. And then we just started brainstorming. That's, that, that's sweet. So what makes like a watch collector? Yes, both, you mentioned that both of you and Craig are, are watch collectors. So like... You know, is it is that like uh, you know guys who collect old Jordans? You know, like what 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 does that entail? Yeah, sort of. You know, just you know, we appreciate watches. We like the way they look, um, and it's just I don't know, just a, a basic appreciation. And uh, they're all very different, uh, different movements. Uh, you, you know, there's Japanese movements, there's Swiss movements. They look different. Um, yeah, it's more of an aesthetic thing, maybe just like you know wearing watches and they look cool and. Um, yeah, that's cool. That's, that's awesome. So where, like in your timeline though, 
where do watches maybe start filling into this sort of idea? Like where, where do you start liking them? Are you a young kid? Is it something when you're in law school, where do you start to kind of appreciate watches? Um, I'd say in, in high school, I, I bought my first watch in high school. It was a, a victory Knox. And yeah, from there, you know, I, I just liked the way it looked. And, you know, I started looking at other time pieces and then, you know, I discovered Rolex and uh, Omega and Panerai and all these different brands which are more expensive than what we're selling. We're not competing with those brands, but we want to do something almost as good of a quality as those companies have. Sure, sure. So what's the first thing like out of the gate? So, okay, now you decide, hey, we should, you know, the, 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 first, the first watch idea isn't going to work because it's a crowded space. So you decide to sort of make your own watch. What's the first step out of the gate? Like, do you start to sketching something out? Do you find inspiration? What starts happening at that point? Yeah, we just looked at other brands in the marketplace. Uh, we considered replicating or modifying other companies that are out there. But then we just thought it'd be cooler to design it on our own. Mm -hmm. So we started sketching things out. We brought on a watch designer to help us out. And we started brainstorming of you know, just how it should look and what kind of elements the watch should have. And we wanted to concentrate on this full loom uh, dial for the watch because that's not really common in the marketplace and it looks really cool and it's different and it'll stand apart from other companies. Mm, yeah, that, that, I agree with you. I mean, I, I've looked at a lot of watches on Kickstarter. There's a, there's a ton of them, right? And just kind of going through them and stuff. And, and you're right. This one did stand out. Hence us getting on a podcast where I'm like, Hey, let, let's see what's going on here. I'd like to find this out. Um, but what, you know, and in terms of like story, you mentioned like the, the brand name and stuff on the Kickstarter page. Where does that sort of inspiration come from to, to name it what you did and have the inspiration around the, the lighthouse and stuff? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So the watch, it shines. The, the dial retains a lot of light and it, it shines at night. So we wanted to name it something along the lines of, you know, like alluding to light. So maybe call it Lighthouse. And we thought lighthouse is just too direct. It's like on the nose. Like we're not going to just call it lighthouse. We wanted it to be more subtle. Mm -hmm. So we started doing more research and we came across the Pharos of Alexandria, which is an ancient lighthouse. And we're like, that's pretty cool. Why don't we just name it Pharos? Because that's still sort of, it's an homage to a lighthouse, but it's more subtle and it's a cool name. Mm -hmm. So we decided to call it Pharos. We did a, you know, a check, we did a trademark check, made, made sure that it's available and we, we could use that. Yeah. So. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. That's, it's, it's really, it feels like it just went together perfectly. It's like one of those moments probably where you're just like, man, this is like all lining up, you know, yeah, that yeah, we, we can use number one, we can use the name, you know, and there's, you know, there's, you know, it's not like you come up with a great idea and you realize, Oh yeah. So we trademarked that back in 70, yeah. 78, you know, we can't use it. Exactly. Like that. That's, that's great. That's great. So, you know, running a Kickstarter campaign is, you know, there's a ton of stuff going on right now. Kind of t talk a little bit about how you've kind of partnered, you know, you and your partner, Craig, and how you guys are handling sort of communication and, and all mm -hmm. the things that are going on in terms of the campaign. Like, how do you guys sort of structure that behind the scenes? So we knew that it would be important to, to actually have an email list, a, a list of subscribers that would buy into your product. So we started, uh, we ran ads on Facebook. We made sure that people would subscribe to, to, the, to the product. So we started advertising Pharos as an up-and-coming brand, as something that's going to be launching. Um, and then also through Instagram. My partner, Craig, he's got a couple of different accounts that he runs on Instagram that have pretty large followings. So we started building up those accounts and advertising it through that. 
mm. to make sure that people would you know be aware of the company and that when we did launch on Kickstarter, they would you know tune in and actually contribute to the campaign. What what behind the scenes is maybe something that keeps you up at night in terms of like being now a watchmaker and, and running a Kickstarter campaign? What's sort of the behind the scenes of like, you know, these are the things that we worry about a little bit around here. I mean, at the moment, it's just driving the pledges. You know, we're about, we're about 19 days left into the, into the campaign and we want to get more contributions, obviously. Mm-hmm. So that's keeping me up and, you know, it goes up and down. You know, some people pledge, then people... Uh, they cancel their pledges. So that's a little stressful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The old, the old cancel pledges just, you're like, what? what's going on, man? It doesn't get charged for another 20 days or whatever it is. Why are you canceling right now? Exactly. You know? We're reaching um, out to people, trying, trying to incentivize everyone. Um, but yeah, that's just, you know, part of the, part of the business. Yeah. Was there any sort of like major roadblock that you guys had to pivot around or had to change something in the course of the last couple of years where you're just like, we, you know, maybe you couldn't do something that you want to do. Was there, was there any sort of major roadblock at all? Um, lining up all the distribution channels with our manufacturing partners, making sure that they could deliver and source all the parts that we need. Mm-hmm. The watch itself, it's assembled in the U S and the, the movement is from Switzerland Everything else is made in China, but then it's assembled in the U.S. So making sure that we have that supply chain laid out, that was a little stressful. And we had a couple of pickups and we had to you know, pivot and change partners here and there. But, you know, so. Yeah, it all- happens. Yeah, it definitely happens. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how about like, you know, on the flip side of that, what was sort of like, was there a moment where just everything gelled where you're like, we actually really have something, even, even if it was like, just a watch, but you knew you had a watch that was special enough to, you know, continue down the Kickstarter path. Was there, was there just a moment where you just knew that you really had something that you could, you should keep pursuing? So when we got the first prototypes, that was really cool because, you know, we've never seen the watch in person. It was being manufactured and then it was delivered finally. We got one right here. Nice. <laughs> um, that was really cool. Cause like it came in and it looked just as good as we hoped, hoped it would. Everything lined up and yeah, that was, yeah, we knew at that point that we could keep moving forward and do a full-scale production run and actually manufacture the, this product. That's cool. That's that's awesome. So back to sort of like maybe like the, the the team and stuff, just kind of following up in terms of, you know, how do you guys stay organized? Is there any special tools that you guys use to stay, you know, to stay on top of all the communications and the, the supply chains and all the sort of plates that are spinning right now? Is there any advice or, or tips or techniques that you do to stay organized on this sort of stuff? Well, we have a separate email account for this business specifically. So when we communicate with whoever, it, it always goes into one inbox. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the workflow sort of, you know, split up between Craig and myself. Uh, he handles a lot of the social media, a lot of the posting uh, on the Instagram page. I do a lot of the, the operational stuff. So organizing the company, making sure everything is set up, we setting up the bank account, getting contracts in place with people, things mm-hmm. like that. Right. That's the sexy work. It sounds like right there. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, you know, and and then also, I mean, you know, I I think this is always good to hear for like, um, you know, project creators who don't understand how, how much work it goes into one of these campaigns. I mean, it's just, it's a ton of work. What do you do to sort of unwind though for a little bit to unplug for a a little bit? Cause I mean, you could probably work on this every single day if you wanted to. So like, you know, what what do you do to just, you know, find a little bit of moment of peace uh, for yourself? It's hard. I have a day job as a lawyer and then I do this. So managing a, managing a legal practice and a side business, there's not a lot of time off. Right. 
know, I try to exercise, try to go for a run, do something on the weekends with friends, you know, just to sort of unplug. Uh, so that helps. Yeah. Yeah. Staying active is helpful. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I hear that, man. It's, I always try to, it's like, no matter what I tell a potential client or something about how much work it is, it's like literally three times more than what I probably even, you know, I'm even leading on to. Cause I'm just like, it's a lot of work. It's trust me. It's a lot of work. I'm like, Oh no, 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 it won't be that bad. And like, right. right, right. No, there's a lot of stuff that goes into this. So let's go. Well, we talked a little bit uh, a moment ago about the actual Kickstarter, but let's, let's, let me pull up some numbers here real quick. So, I mean, you know, right now when we're talking about have about 19 days to go, mm-hmm. um, you had a $35,000 goal and you're currently sitting at just under 55,000. So you've done a, you know, you've crushed your goal. Uh, you got 99 backers that, you know, it's a really successful campaign. So what, you know, internally, were there any metrics you were looking at that you wanted to hit before you launched the campaign? Did you say we wanted to have X amount of emails, this many people on Facebook, this many video views? Was there anything along those lines that you wanted to hit before you uh, launched? I mean, we purposely set the, the goal a little lower than we should. I mean, we want to raise more than 55000 So right. we, we set it at thirty five just because Kickstarter doesn't let you keep the funds if you don't hit your goal. We were a little worried. We didn't know that we would reach the goal so quickly. So th- that was one consideration. Um, essentially, there's a baseline number that we did want to hit at a minimum, which is right around fifty fifty five thousand. 55000 mm-hmm. We achieved that, which is great. But we want to keep it pushing and we wanted to go to around a hundred thousand ideally. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we didn't want to set it too high. We didn't want to set it at a hundred thousand because if you don't hit it, then it's not like Indiegogo where you keep whatever you raise. Right. Yeah. So, so because of that, you know, when you're kind of doing the sort of math formula, I guess I still go back to like, well, then to hit that, did you have some numbers in mind of like, well, if we have a thousand email addresses, you know, we'll, we'll be good. You know, we'll feel good about it. Or, or was there anything, any trigger points where you're like, we are now ready to launch? Or was it a little kind of blind and being like, we'll just see what happens here. So typically email lists that you compile, they convert at about, a, I think like 3% number. Mm-hmm. So whatever you have, 3% of those people will purchase your product. So we wanted to have a certain amount of emails in the pipeline. Uh, that was really important. And then getting the word out to friends and family that helped as well. Um, and then through Facebook and Instagram, but there was no baseline number, like a minimum number that we needed. Right. I don't think. Yeah. It was just, you know, the more, the better. Sure. 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 <laughs> so, you know, and, and how about, I mean, you talked about this before too, is that there is a ton of, uh, there are a ton of watches, you know, on Kickstarter. So how did you, how did you guys approach standing above the crowd, making sure that you get funded, make sure you stand out, you know, what was some of the internal conversations around how, how do you, you know, become a success story as opposed to maybe 30 other watches right now that, that aren't success stories? Yeah, how, yeah. You know, how, how did you sort of prepare yourself for that sort of um, journey? I mean, the watch had to be different. Mm-hmm. It had to look unique and not like the rest. A lot of these watches look identical. They take the same case and then just repurpose it and slap a different name on it. But it's the same watch. You know, they all look like a, a Rolex Submariner, like something along those lines. Right. Um, so we wanted to stand out, obviously, and we needed we needed a presence online on social media. That was really important because without a presence, people don't know about you, and that's where Instagram and Facebook was was really helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it was just sort of you know we sat there and hoped hoped for the best. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. Has there been uh, anything in the dashboard that stuck out that's weird? Um, you know, in terms of like, oh, we had a whole bunch of orders from Brazil, you know, or just what, you know, anything weird that you're kind of taken aback by at all? 
not like that, but, but a few investment funds and they pledge towards your campaign in the hopes of getting some kind of business out of you. And mm. then if you don't bite, then they cancel their pledge. <laughs> that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is interesting. That, that's sort of a, that gets your hopes up and you're like, yes. Exactly. This random what? person is investing in my company, but then like <laughs> loan at 5%, then they cancel. Oh man, man. I haven't heard that one. So congrats yeah. on that. That's the first time I've heard of that one. And uh, you're episode 143. So I've talked to a lot of people. I've run a lot of campaigns. I haven't heard that one yet. So I'll, that's something new to look out for. Uh, businesses out there just, I mean, trying to, trying to get a piece for themselves. Yeah. Wow. Uh, that's, that's crazy. So, I mean, so, okay, you've got, you know, 19 days to go while we're talking, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of weeks for the money to drop into all the bank accounts. What starts happening at that point for you to get the watch uh, into backers' hands? Right. So we get the money. We notify the manufacturer in, in China and Switzerland and our service partner in the U.S. We place the orders and hopefully, you know, everything goes according to plan. But, you know, so far we've been assured that everything is lined up. The factories are running and we have prototypes in hand. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just waiting at that point. Yeah. And then, and then you know, for this, and you're shipping internationally, correct too, right? I, yeah, I think. Sure, yeah. So, um, you know, I think this is, this is challenging for a lot of small businesses getting started is managing international shipping and orders and parts coming in from other countries and, oh, that, you know, our parts from China are going to be on a boat for two months, whatever. There, yeah. There's a customs, you know, how do you guys prepare to handle all of these sort of things that could pop up, not saying they are, but could pop up um, in your process. So, I mean, there's third party companies like Backerkit and Crowdox that help you manage your orders. Mm-hmm. So that helps on the acquisition front with your customers. But then on the supply side, it's gonna be just a lot of manual work with Excel spreadsheets, making sure everything's coming in and you know tracking it that way. The good thing is that we're dealing with only about 99 backers at the moment. Maybe we'll get to like 150 or 200, but that's manageable. That's not too many. We're not dealing with thousands of backers, which right. would be a lot. Yeah. Right. Uh, so then what does for you guys, where do you guys see like at least like the next year? Obviously, I'm sure getting all the, you know, these orders into uh, these watches on people's wrists. But what starts happening in that year? Is it something that you move this into e-com or do you start making new designs for Kickstarter? What, what starts happening? So both. We want to build out a good website. And then design new watches, mm. make different dials, make different cases possibly, make a fe- more female-centric version of the watch, mm. and just expand the company, uh, try to get social media influencers on board, because that's very important for growing your, your brand. Because right now, it's all through e-commerce and social. Really, no one goes to the store to buy watches. Right. So it's all about building a cool brand that people, that people like. And, and how do you kind of envision the legal side, I mean, being a lawyer full time and this, where, do you see that something that you're, you're able to do kind of both all, the whole time? Or do you see yourself kind of outsourcing a bit? Where, where do you kind of envision yourself in the next year or so? Both as long as I can, but hopefully as this business scales and moves forward, and if it takes up more and more of my time, then for sure, you know, I'd consider doing this more full time. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then like, like, let's walk out maybe like five years or so. Is this something that you kind of envision, you know, do you guys, what, what's like the big, huge dreams down the road that, that are at least kind of, you know, that are, they're, they're around, you know, they may be challenging, but what's like the big dreams? I mean, the dream is to build it up, build up the company and sell it sort of like what movement did. Movado, <laughs> yeah. For an insane price. So that would be the, the dream, you know, building yeah. up a business and selling it. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. 
Well, where can people, um, you know, dive in, learn more? How can they kind of plug in and see what you guys are working on? Sure. So the Kickstarter page is really informative. There's a, there's a video, there's a lot of good pictures. There's the, the design process and information about the Pharaohs of Alexandria is up there. So it gives you a good overview of how the watch came together. Um, we have an Instagram page, Pharaohs Watches, which is also really cool. There's a lot of good photographs that aren't available on the Kickstarter page on Facebook. Um, and then, you know, just through the internet, we, we have a, we have a website, uh, the Pharaohs of Alexandria Wikipedia page is cool because it talks about the history of the lighthouse. That's cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Alex, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. I know there's a lot going on here, a bunch of, bunch of plates spinning. And, uh, I always, I always, I always love reaching out to creators who are in the middle of a successful campaign, kind of getting their vibe and energy. And, uh, these watches do look great. I mean, I, I see how they stood out and you're, you're doing an amazing job on this. And, uh, I wish you nothing but success. I, uh, I really appreciate you taking some time out of your day. Thanks so much, Jeff. I appreciate it. That was great. Awesome. Thanks so much, Alex. All right, cool. Take care. All right. What a conversation. Alex, thank you again for taking time out of your busy schedule to to jump on this interview. This was great. Great, great info for a lot of the people around me. Um, again, make sure you guys go to his Kickstarter. Uh, pick up a watch if that's something you're into or uh, you know, or just back the campaign just to see what they're doing behind the scenes. That's also, we call that being a gawker backer. Maybe be a gawker backer, right? Um, so yeah, so awesome. All right, guys, you guys know what to do. Make sure you're a subscriber. Make sure you're tuning in each week to a new episode of Successfully Funded. The song we're listening to is called California. It's from the Sugar People, like always. Playing a little bit of my own music, right? That's why, that, I mean, that's why you have a podcast so you can play your own stuff. So, um, all right, guys. I hope you guys enjoy this, and uh, I will talk to you all This house can